Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, hello, and welcome. Or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, World Cup daily edition from Russia as ever. And uh, I am still very much uh, Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and sat alongside me is uh, Chief Football Writer of the Independent, Miguel Delaney. Miguel, hello. Good evening. Good evening, and it was a good evening, let's be honest. It was a great evening of, of football with um, an absolutely unbelievable kind of turn of events in the last few minutes uh, as Group B reached its conclusion. Um, Group A also reached its conclusion today, but in far less interesting fashion. So let's dig right in. The result of it all, Miguel, is that Spain top Group B and Portugal go through in second place, but it was very close in the end. Yeah, uh, I have a tension headache for a variety of reasons after that uh, denouement, and one of them was actually trying to keep track of, hang on, what does this mean, are Spain ahead now? Um, oh, we, were, we were mostly watching the Spanish game here, I'm basically flicking it to Portugal every time there was an incident. Um, from, what I, from what I've heard though, from what I gather from uh, our colleagues who are at the Portuguese game, that was a lot less entertaining in terms of pure football than the Spain-Morocco game, but maybe more interesting in terms of drama, given the controversy over VAR and everything that went on. Big night for VAR. Um, within about 60 seconds at the end, and this was the, the, the real turning point, or it, or it could have been even more of a turning point, was uh, Iago Aspas, the substitute, came on for Spain, uh, and Spain desperately needed... Uh, an equaliser, they're 2-1 down at that point. So they, they went behind early on, terrible mistake from Iniesta um, and Sergio Ramos, kind of uh, miscommunication, to be kind. Um, Morocco kept their nerve, went ahead, and then um, Spain equalised. Great goal, uh, Iniesta setting up Isco. And then Morocco had got... How, how did they score the second again? The second was the header from this corner. Oh, great header, great yeah, header. Yeah, and they, and we, they, we, they we, also hit the bar and they also... Had another one-on-one. PK should have been sent off. PK should have been sent off. Um, Spain got very lucky to get a draw. But then there's, there's such a weird thing. Like in, in basically all their matches so so far, Spain have gone through spells where they look. Even tonight, some of the passing. Like this is the first. Their equaliser is supreme. But in every match so far, in so far, Spain have gone through spells where they look exceptional, and then within five minutes, look so shaky as if they could be about to crash out any moment. And it, it, tonight was another one. And one big point with them, I would say, is that. Other than the second half against Portugal, that defence has looked very shaky. PK is not, uh, not at his best, but then I wonder how much that connected to the probably more relevant fact that he and Ramos don't seem to fully trust De Gea in, t- in terms of giving him the ball. And that obviously, I think that does have a big effect on where a defence can set themselves up, how far they can p- pull away from goal. Um, it's, it's an interesting one, but it, it, it's, it's a problem for Spain, except it's a problem they might have temporarily solved for a bit because... I mean, beyond that, apart from being steep to get through, maybe in the end, they were steeped because now suddenly they're on the, the more forgiving side of the draw. Absolutely unbelievable turn of events at the end to, to make that happen. But basically, Iran, 
At the same time as Aspas came on and scored the equaliser to make it 2-2 at the death, which was given as offside and then uh, overturned uh, by the video referee to become a goal uh, to put Spain back in there. At the same time, Iran got a penalty, a soft penalty really, uh, through VAR, but a penalty nonetheless. They scored. Early on in the game, Cristiano Ronaldo had had a penalty saved. Uh, a pretty poor penalty as well, it must be said, from the Real Madrid man. So then what had happened, it meant that Spain had gone top of the group with that Iran equaliser. Iran were just one goal away from qualifying, and they very nearly got it uh, with that chance uh, right at the death. But, it, I mean, in, in the middle of all of that, I mean, there's so much, if you think about the tremendous storylines, like, in the middle of all of that, Ronaldo, who'd been kind of been feted as the hero of the tournament, all this battle with Messi, all the rest of it, he may have really cost Portugal with that penalty miss. Because uh, it's, it's ultimately meant they're on the wrong side of the draw. And he probably should have gone as well. I mean, I, I have to look at that properly, but my slight feeling is he should, be sent, he should have been sent off. Both PK and Ronaldo should have been sent off, uh, from what I saw. And uh, they weren't. And uh, you can draw your own conclusions as to why that happens. But anyway, Spain topped the group in the end. Portugal second. Um, that's on goals scored and Iran are just a point behind um, and Morocco go out with one point having been actually a, a, an incredibly yeah. impressive team well, well, in, in quality wise I mean one of the better sides of the tournament so, uh, to go, but kind of the, the most enjoyable to watch yeah and, and to be honest you know it's like I was saying I think the other day about uh, Senegal and Japan they're, they're both teams that I've actually enjoyed watching even though you know they not they might not be yeah. quality from from one to eleven, but they are actually an entertaining team to watch. And you know when you have to watch every game, you you don't want to have to watch the stuff uh, that we had to watch earlier on this afternoon, which we should also probably cover, uh, which is Uruguay against Russia. Um, that so that game decides the top of Group A, and it felt a little bit like the Russian bubble burst today. Uh, they were fairly comprehensively beaten three 0 in the end. Um, Uruguay went 1-0 up after 10 minutes, which was a, a genius moment from Luis Suarez. Uh, great free kick, although the keeper could have done better, but I think he actually tricked the keeper, um, which is in itself a skill. What happens next? Uh, they get the second goal on 25 minutes. Freak deflection. Apparently there's a quote from Isco here. <laughs> and next we'll play uh, against Russia with Putin in attendance, you're going to say Isco. But hopefully there'll also be other people there and, and in the studio in Spain. Let's hope that VAR will still be allowed to work. <laughs> anyway, um, what was I saying? Yes, deflected goal for Uruguay, uh, made it 2-0 in 25 minutes. Then uh, one of the Russians went and got himself sent off for two yellows in the first half. So they're 2-0 down, and it's then a man down, and Russia never looked like getting back into it. Uh, they were pretty poor without Golovin, and uh, then late, 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 Cavani got a third. So Uruguay go through... They've never looked incredible. Uh, they've never looked absolutely brilliant. Um, this is the goal actually just about to show on replay of Miguel Suarez. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's three games, three wins, scored five, conceded zero. Uh, that's all you can do in a weak group, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I suppose when you're side like Uruguay, who are almost the Atletico Madrid of international football, right down some of the players, yeah. especially the centre halves kind of built on counter-attack and defence, that that's almost a weirdly tough group for them because it's teams that maybe aren't set up to play into their hands in the way some better teams were, would be. Um, 
So yeah, I'm like, they, they went about in a, in a, in a thorough way. And uh, Saudi Arabia beat Egypt 2-1 in a game that won't matter to anyone, except maybe the Saudis. Um, but the, the, the main point being, obviously, as well, that Egypt had a terrible campaign, um, one really to forget for them. Uh, and especially with all the news around Mo Salah, you know, who we, we're told uh, is considering retiring from the international team. But what does this mean? What's the upshot of, of these four games we had today? The upshot is that Spain win the group and they go on to the more favourable side of the draw, which, considering their performance today, is an incredibly lucky twist of fate. But it means that this Sunday, July the 1st, in Five days, six days' time, they will be playing against hosts Russia at the Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow. Um, you and I are likely to be present at that one, Miguel. And you'd say that Russia are kind of the sort of team that you'd like to see Spain play against. Yeah, I think Spain, it suits them much more than playing Uruguay, who would have been like Iran and kind of dug in and made a very difficult night while having Suarez up front. Uh, Uruguay, I think, could very easily have done Spain. Uh, or I think Russia will be open up a bit, uh, and they're not that convincing really, despite those two opening wins. I think Spain should beat them relatively easy, although you know we could always have a Korea two thousand two situation. Um, but uh, you do you do feel with today with the result against Uruguay, maybe <laughs> that's that that there's an element of right, Russia, you've had your fun now, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you haven't disgraced yourselves. I said that you know um, Uruguay have had an easy start so you can't read too much into what they've done so far and they are a team let's be honest that are better suited to play against in inverted commas yeah. good sides than bad sides um, yeah. but you know Uruguay's real tournament starts now whereas um, Russia's real tournament uh, might have started today and, and they didn't really enjoy it that much so we're going to have Spain versus Russia and, and you fancy Spain to get through and they're on the more favourable side of the draw the other game uh, we've had absolutely confirmed then is Saturday night in Sochi, um, which will be Uruguay versus Portugal. Now, that one does seem interesting. It's two uh, naturally conservative sides. It's two sides who have got uh, ageing but kind of reliable defences, mm-hmm. uh, midfields that have disappointed in, in this Ur- tournament Ur- so far. Uruguay, actually, it's quite, to match them up, be quite an interesting unit. There's an idea for a piece as well ahead of the game. Because it's such similar in style... I'd say Uruguay's defence is better, but Portugal's... Uruguay's defence might be the best in the entire competition, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Port- Portugal's, def- Portugal's game-breaker is better. Obviously, Ronaldo's better than... Even, Su- even Suarez at his peak, you would say, but especially Suarez now. Um, it, could be, it could be a game where midfield is bypassed. Portugal have the best midfield personnel, but they are yet to actually, in any game... Make that to good use, you know. Uh, they, they were, but that was that was exactly the same in Euro twenty sixteen. Bernardo Silva did did nothing in in any of the games he's played because he's just been kind of put on the side of that midfield. William Carvalho, like flatters to deceive mm. for me. Um, João Mario runs a lot but doesn't really do much. Doesn't get anything done. Uh, Bruno Fernandes started the first game. They dropped him to go for more control with, with Jean Mario. Didn't really work. Charisma played today, scored a great goal with the outside of his boot. But you can't see them starting Ricardo Charisma against Uruguay, can you? So um, I, don't, I don't know which way that, that game's going to go. I'm slightly leaning Uruguay. Um, I am slightly leaning Uruguay because 
their defence is so good and they they just need one game they just need one goal sorry yeah. um, to they, ensure they, they, they go through yeah have they no, no I, they, I mean they have played Saudi Arabia Egypt and Russia so not necessarily uh, the greatest of tests but having Gooding and Jimenez in there is massive because to have a club partnership that have played together for five, six years at the top, top level, um, think of like the, the non-verbal communication they have and everything they know and then think what they're going to do on set pieces to Portugal who have looked a bit ragged. Uh, and I think it's a good recipe yeah. for, for, for beating Portugal. Um, you, 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 um, you've really convinced me. I think uh, I'm beginning to think Uruguay are going to win that game. Yeah, uh, and, and as I say, I mean, they they weren't great in the opening couple of games of Uruguay, but they weren't much better today. Switching, he doesn't he doesn't actually play three at the back. Tabarez has this thing; he's got a, a squad that can play either with three at the back or four at the back, and they often play a kind of hybrid where the, the fullback on one side kind of goes for, raids forward, and the other one is a centre back who tucks in. Um, I actually think it's a very good system, uh, but they're all used to playing it. So again, it's not. Not a problem. This this is a well drilled unit, a, dr- a unit that's played a lot of tournaments together, um, and I don't think you can underestimate how important that is. Uh, so I guess we should uh, preview some of tomorrow's games, Miguel, because there are some big ones tomorrow, um, and then we will check in uh, with the man up in Rapino, who uh, actually told me it's pronounced Repino, which has completely blown my mind. But we are at Denmark versus France tomorrow at uh, a, a game that. 3pm UK time a game that superficially on the surface looks as if oh there's not much on it France is top the group etc but that's not the case at all France can't afford to drop to rest players because if they lose this game they lose top spot um, and then, and then well, well Denmark are by no because they've only got four points they're by no means safe either it's, it's actually it's quite nicely set up really Johnny Liu has written an absolutely belting piece on Christian Eriksen um, which I urge you by is the it, time is that, is that the one done with the help of Frank de Boer uh, he's talked to Frank de Boer he's talked to his old PE teacher uh, the, the opening line is, a, is about some sort of Viking settlement in 1343 <laughs> it's uh, absolutely brilliant and I, I implore you to go out and, and read that find that in the usual places um, independent.co.uk slash football but also you know via social media very easy to find um, so Denmark versus France will, will be Will be an interesting one. France are yet to really, you know, kick into gear. They've played Australia and Peru, and they've never looked particularly comfortable in, in either of those games. Um, and Australia and Peru might prove to be, I think, two of the lesser sides overall. They're probably going to yeah. be in that. Peru have been fun, though. Yes, no, no, for fun for sure. But, um, but Peru have never really. Look like scoring, you know, they haven't threatened, yeah, yeah. they haven't had a striker. That, that, that was one of their big that, problems. That was an issue in qualifying as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and, and you know, they they have been great for the, they've been great for the competition, they've been great for the tournament. Um, much more interesting than like a Paraguay or whatever. Well, our, our, our boy that we flagged, uh, Arzini, he's, he looks like he's going to start for Australia. Uh, Arzani, yeah, he, he played well uh, as a substitute the other day. And, and Arzani, sorry. They do look like. Uh, they did. They did have a bit more in that last half an hour of uh, the game of the day, but they had to. You know that that was their tournament was on the line. Australia's tournament isn't over. They could still go through um, if there's a positive result. No, it's, if France beat Denmark, right? If France beat Denmark and Australia win, then Australia go through. Yeah, that's not 
a ludicrous scenario. No, no, wrong. It's not a ludicrous scenario. It would be enormous for uh, soccer in Australia if uh, they did qualify. Um, so Critch is down there for Australia, Peru, in Sochi. And uh, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. So that's, that's the lunchtime stuff. I say, will we at well, Denmark, the, France? The, the, the worst thing would be if it gets to 70 minutes, though, in this game. Not, not, not to suggest that anything, like, um, obviously agreed between teams, but it, it does happen in these sort of games. There's suddenly just that subcon- subconscious, the play- all the players realise, we better not go for this because we put ourselves in danger. And because both Denmark and France realise that, uh, you know, <laughs> a draw, France will go top and the Danes uh, will get through. Um, but it does make it easier to write a match report. So uh, let's not rule it out. Uh, tomorrow night, though, is the one that I'm most looking forward to. It is uh, the culmination of Group D, uh, where Nigeria play Argentina um, and Iceland play Croatia. Uh, we've got Johnny and Jack going to Nigeria, Argentina and St. Petersburg, where Argentina, if they win, despite a disastrous campaign, which which followed a disastrous preparation yeah. period. They somehow could be in the mix here. Um, and, you know, once you're in the knockout stage, you know, everything else is forgotten. Yeah, yeah. And you can, like, you know, that's the, the beauty of cup competitions in these ways. They don't actually need to be, once you go to get these latter stages, you don't need to do all that much. A, lot of look, a little bit of luck can go a long way. Um, I mean, in all this, I still can't help the feeling that one of, the, one of the issues of Argentina and one of the issues was one of the most talked about points and players of the tournament Messi I mean he retired in 2016 a sense of responsibility and legacy brought him back he dragged them through and then there was almost a presumption or not the presumption but maybe the hope that okay we're through now now everything we, we have time to fix everything then he gets to um, to Russia for what he hoped was going to be this big last opportunity in his prime and then sees the shambles, and he wondered if that subconsciously caused him to kind of retreat, and or just he just that maybe that's why he's so down. But then, then against all that, I mean, there was interesting quotes from Mastrana today about destiny and all this. That who knows? It's funny. It happens. It's happened to tournaments in the past. Suddenly, you get this jolt. A team that looked a joke can suddenly change. There's that. I mean, I think Frank De Boer said it in his column for us last week that a feeling goes a long way in something as intense as a World Cup in such a short scale of time. Um, I did uh, half write a piece on the plane over, which I never got round to uh, finishing. It was about their their preparation for this World Cup and how it had been so bad and, and why it had been so bad and the, and the reasons that had kind of led up to that. And, and in there, I mentioned you know that, that it it could be like the the first chapter of um, of like a documentary. You know, it's like you know how bad the preparation had been. Of course, like the thing was going to happen, but it's also kind of you know, everyone had written them off, or the preparation was bad, they only had one point after two games, and then it all turns round. Yeah. You know, the, the greatest football stories usually start with adversity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I've written a big piece on, on Argentina and, and some of the other stuff Mascherano said, uh, and, and some of the, the big issues they've had this weekend, which if you haven't uh, heard about them, I implore you to go and read that because it's been pretty wild. It includes a lot of um, leaked WhatsApp audio notes, uh, some from journalists and some from Diego Simeone criticising the team. And there was an allegation that Mascherano and Christian Pavon had uh, had some fisticuffs. They got into a fight. 
Uh, it was it was denied by the players, but Mascherano turned up with a black eye. Um, there's all sorts going on in there. So and there's, and there's also a cake which weighs 150 kilograms and took five days to make. So if you uh, are interested at all in Argentina, um, I urge you to go and read that. Um, the other the other game in that one, Iceland Croatia. So that is also so Croatia are top of the group of six at the moment, and they've got a very healthy goal difference. But if Iceland do beat them and, and Croatia are going to rotate the team if Iceland do beat them they can still leapfrog they, they can still stay ahead of Argentina is that correct? yeah right that's correct so Argentina yeah Argentina it would be the goal difference thing Nigeria obviously can go through as well Nigeria win against Argentina um, and, it, and it's all smiles because they won uh, 2-0 the other day so this is a really interesting group it's got four teams uh, that all, I think, you wouldn't complain necessarily if they're in the, the round of 16. It'd be interesting to see uh, how Iceland approach it tomorrow because we were discussing this earlier on, on the way back from dinner, and we're saying Iceland have had, you know, they, they, obviously this is the greatest period in their history in terms of success. They have had uh, their first ever tournament two years ago and they got through to the quarters. Yeah, beat England in the last Yes, I remember they beat England, yeah. yes. Uh, and then the, the result gets Argentina, which was a draw that felt like a win. Obviously, Nigeria was a disappointment. But if they beat Croatia, they can get through. But the thing is that they, have, they know that they have to go out and beat Croatia by a few goals. But what all we've seen from Iceland, really, in this period of, of in inverted commas, success, and it, I guess it is definitely success for a country so small, mm-hmm. Well, what we've seen from them is, is defensive reactive yeah. play and that's what they've been really good at frustrating teams but now for once you know, and we've only had a small sample size because they haven't been around that long I'm trying to think, do they, but do this they, is they have to go out and they have to attack and they have to try and win this game by a few goals do they win um, any of their group games in Euro 2016 actually uh, I think their first win might have been England was it they're in the same group as Portugal Hungary and, oh, they did win again. and sorry, Austria sorry sorry they, they beat they, oh, they beat Austria in the last... Yeah, la- the last minute winner, actually, to be fair. Yeah. Against Austria. Um, but even... So, they need a bit more than that tomorrow. I guess a better side. Yeah, so, so that's a 2-1 that's a, a win, last-minute goal, where they knew they had to get a goal to go through. This is a game where they have to approach it knowing that they need a significant margin of victory against a team that is very good in Croatia. So... That is obviously an interesting subplot. I have to say I won't be watching that game. I will be watching Nigeria-Argentina, although it probably might be time for us to set up some sort of two-screen uh, scenario in this room. <laughs> well, yeah, tonight felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flicking between the two is not, is not a good situation. So um, if we get back in time after Denmark-France, then we're going to have to double these up. Uh, but that really promises Group C, Group D finales. They, they promise to be very interesting. And then... We're on to Wednesday, uh, which will be great. Oh, God, it's Thursday. It's England playing. So uh, I did talk to Jack Brook earlier on. He just sent me uh, a little note uh, to explain what the situation was with England today. Um, so I'll just drop that in here so you get your little England update. And uh, then we'll round off the show. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm back in Repino, um, having flown from Nizhny Novgorod to Moscow and then Moscow to St. Petersburg this morning. Um, England obviously flew straight back on Sunday afternoon, so they've had, I think, a relaxing day off today, and then we'll resume training and media duties tomorrow, um, that is Tuesday, uh, ahead of, I was going to say the big one against Belgium, it's kind of less big now than it we expected it would have been, because, one, because England and Belgium are both through, and also because it's not obvious what the incentives are to win, or rather... We, we believe that Belgium don't particularly want to win that much. And uh, so the question really from England's perspective is how much do they, how much are they chasing that, that big win to top the group? And what sort of a team is Southgate going to play? Um, I can tell you this now because it's no longer, we won't be embargoed by the time this podcast is published. But after the game in, on Sunday night, we spoke to Gareth Southgate in uh, one of the corridors at the stadium and he was talking to this issue and he said something which I think is absolutely true which is that we it doesn't really fit with our national mindset not to try and win the game um, so there's no chance of England you know doing anything other than going for the win and I think that's right I think that I don't think that the English football nation is very canny like I don't think we're smart enough to kind of think that we can turn our momentum off and then back on again like a tap um and i think he's got that right i mean if you know there are examples in history of teams you know like spain in euro 2008 who made lots of changes to their third game but then got back on it for the next game and then went on to great success obviously but lots of teams who try that fail and i i don't know i just don't get the impression that in england could do that properly i mean remember um euro 2016 two years ago when Roy Hodgson made six changes, you know, we beat Wales 2-1 in the last minute, six changes to the Slovakia game, terrible nil-nil draw, lost any momentum, then went out to Iceland. Um, so the quick, so I, I think Southgate's right to try to win, but the big question really is, what sort of a team is he going to put out? Because he did say that he, w- he will be making changes. Um, now, that, there's a few different issues there. there. There's players that they need to get more minutes into, so I think we'll, I imagine we'll probably see Marcus Rashford starting, I imagine ahead of Raheem Sterling. I think we're going to see Danny Rose starting as well, um, ahead of Ashley Young. I think that Rose is in England's best team. I think that it was always Southgate's intention for Rose to be the first choice left back. And it was only really because Rose showed up not as fit as Southgate would hope that he's gone with Young instead of Rose. But I think Rose will play. And then beyond that, there's like a few players who might be 
tired, and that means that he might give them a day off in Kaliningrad, like Jordan Henderson, perhaps for Eric Dyer. Uh, he might bring Deli Ali back in, either for Loftus Cheek or for Lingard, who's done an awful lot of work in the two games so far. Um, but I don't think he'll want to make too many more changes beyond that. I mean, of course, he could, you know, there's some plays he could bring in. He could bring in uh, Cahill, Jones, Delph, Vardy. Um, he could move players around within the system. He could move Walker to right wing back to bring in another centre back if he wants to rest Trippier, who's been very good so far. But I, I think he'd be reluctant to make too many changes for those reasons. And because they want to win the game and win the group. I mean, I think we're expecting Belgium to make a lot of changes, particularly in attacking positions. I think Courtois will play. Um, company might come back in. Uh, Alderweireld and Vertonghen might stay. But further up the pitch, I think Chadley will come in. Fellaini will come in. Torgan Hazard. Um, Adan Yanazai. Batshuayi. So it will be a different-looking Belgium team. Uh, but this is kind of the point. This is, you know, this is, I was going to say the exciting part is all exciting. This is the very exciting part where, as the results come in from other groups, we can start to map out uh, what might happen next. I mean, one of the reasons why Belgium uh, wouldn't mind finishing second is that, one, their last 16 game would be at the Lejeune, it would, sorry, it would, be, it would be at the Spartak Stadium in Moscow. I think Belgium is staying near Moscow, so it'd be less travelling. It was. It's also a day after. It's on the. Um, it's, it would give them an extra day of rest after the, the Kaliningrad game, whereas England would have a kind of quicker turnaround. I think I think it's Monday and Tuesday of next week of the, of when those last 16 games are. Um, so I think, so for England, it's kind of, it's a strange, it's, it's a, a period which you would expect to be tense, and which in previous World Cups, you know, we um, or go into Costa Rica, the third game in 2014, England were already out by then, but going into the Slovenia game in 2010, they had to win to go through. Um, but it won't be like that. It won't be the, one of these kind of nerve-wracking matches where they have to squeeze out a result to progress. Um, all of which means that, you know, we're almost in a kind of small lull now after the drama of the first two matches. And I think uh, particularly after the, the team sheet story, and uh, which is kind of the only sort of what you might call a wrinkle in the England camp so far, we're almost kind of waiting for the next thing to bubble up, whatever that might be. But England will be doing media activity tomorrow. They will be putting a player up. So next time we speak tomorrow evening, which I think will probably be after the Argentina-Nigeria game, uh, I'll be able to update you again on the mood in the England camp and where they are. Bye. So Jack's update uh, on England, keeping you up to date. I guess everyone uh, back home is thoroughly infused he, he managed to refrain I think he received a reprimand for his language yesterday there's no, there's no, there's no room for filth there's absolutely no room for filth on this yeah. podcast um, the, the England I mean, so we've had a 24 hours I guess to to think about that England performance and, and how we feel about it and I have to say that I think the the major thing for me is that there was enough transferable stuff in there i.e. Yes, you're playing against a poor team, and they were playing against a poor team in Panama. But things like set-piece success translate whether you're playing against a bad team or a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are good teams who don't spend a lot of time coaching those sorts of things, and there are bad teams that do. And I think England might be a good team that do. Yeah. So, so it's an important thing that we've seen there. Um, the attention to detail stuff we're talking about with Harry Kane, that's not going to change. Having a, an elite 
goal scoring striker and, and how many teams have we seen at this competition were like if they had a good finisher yeah. if they had a goal scorer would be Spain. massive Spain with Harry Kane no. I mean Spain with Harry Kane I mean, Costa's good but Kane is just Diego Costa today uh, having I thought played quite well so far this tournament was an absolute ghost um, yeah, I can't remember. I, I can't yeah. remember him doing anything. All, all, I can, all I can remember is that fluff chance. And and, and just because we were watching it in standard definition, you were like, "Who was that?" Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> and, and thankfully, um, <laughs> had not been basically off writing the last few days. I, I had two days where I didn't have to write because I had been planning a piece on how Diego Costa has become Spain's David Villa of 2010. But uh, maybe that would, after that performance, that wouldn't have been the best game to write it. Yago Aspas uh, will probably get a couple of shouts. I think uh, to start against Russia because uh, he came on he scored the equaliser and he looked more dangerous in a very short period than, than Costa did in most of the game whether Hierro has the huevos to do anything about it I'm not sure because there were some signs at the end he didn't you didn't feel confident that he had no. that under control did this, you? This, this, is another, this is a growing issue with Spain and I, I know we had we spoke so much about whether Spain can be self-managing, but we, to be fair, we did say that what, what could be a worry is that, I mean, even if Lopetegui wasn't a brilliant manager, he did think a lot about these little kind of tactical tweaks, and you get the sense that Yero just isn't as on top of that, and as well as that, it does feel as if kind of, I don't know, he doesn't have the, the assertiveness to make, to, to make the decisions, I mean, this is actually, actually an issue with him in Oviedo as well, he used to complain that he, he was uh, quite... Um, slow with subs I mean, basically it's a lack of decisiveness I do think that that is what they're missing with the Lopetegui thing and you know it's all going to come out down the line isn't it the, the, the Lopetegui Spain Real Madrid uh, controversy has just been parked for now mm. hasn't it you know, yeah. it's certainly not dead if they go out early it'll come up again absolutely well absolutely well um but Hierro doesn't appear to have, I don't know if it's the confidence in himself or, or just, you know, the, the instincts. It might just be that, or it might be that he doesn't know the players as well because, you know, Lopetegui's coached a lot of these since he was, uh, since they were a lot younger, you know, since, I, mean, I guess he was a lot younger as well. That's literally how time works. Um, but otherwise, no, I, I think what we've seen from England is that there are some very, positive signs that will transfer to, to other teams. Now, you, you can't always get the luck of it hitting Harry Kane's heel and going in and you'll play against better defences and, and you'll give up more chances, I guess, as well. But there was enough uh, enough positivity, I think, uh, to know it wasn't just an illusion. It wasn't just, oh, great, the sun was out, everyone's having a barbecue and they're playing against someone crap. So... Um, stay positive uh, on that front I think um, as Jack said there's going to be some media availability tomorrow so we'll hear a little bit more from England camp tomorrow you'll certainly hear more from us uh, as I say stay tuned to the website where we'll be covering both of those uh, group finales that look so interesting tomorrow night and by the, t- by the time we record the next podcast Miguel Lionel Messi might have played his final ever World Cup game um, and with that on that sombre note uh, well, yeah, and also many people won't know what the hell that meant. But uh, as ever, thank you for for listening. We uh, appreciate every single one of you that downloads the podcast on a daily basis. And uh, uh, you know, if you didn't, then we wouldn't do it still. So um, thank you for that. And as ever, 
stay tuned uh, via social media. We're on Instagram still, doing all the World Cup uh, posts. Um, I think uh, the follower numbers are creeping up on that. Uh, Twitter, you already know, at Indie Football, uh, at Indie Sport, uh, on Facebook, at The Independent Sport. And um, I think that's about all the questions.